0: I'm going to start off with a poem. It's called In the Quiet. In the quiet, my soul speaks, and heaven hears her beautiful whisper. In the quiet, my soul smiles, and Mary's light illuminates my path. In the quiet, my soul stumbles, and I wonder if anyone can see. I have fallen in the precious quiet. And the light begins to fade, and the noise is pulling me down. Mary, where are you? Mary, light my way. And when I think the noise is overtaken, and I cannot hear her gentle whisper, I continue. Mary's voice is always with me. Even if I cannot hear my name, she does speak it. Do not believe you are forgotten. Do not listen to the lies that tell you you must turn back, do not. And when you've stumbled and the noise grabs your arms and legs, call her even louder, listen even sharper, and dig even deeper. Dare to defend the quiet, to fight the noise that's all around you, and live what you have up to now only believed. So I wrote this in November of 2012. You can breathe now. <laughs> I know it's heavy. I'm heavy and what it is. I can light. I can like. So I wrote this in November of 2012, and I wanted to start with it this evening because it really sums up my faith journey. I returned to church a few years ago after being gone for many years, and and it was Mary, the mother of Christ, who welcomed me back in. And she's the loving presence that sustains me, draws me back into the fold. And unites my hands with the Father and the Son. My work isn't a little neat package, and I have a lot of, kind of had a lot of shame about that. And when Father Carl, well, Father Carl and Sister Mary asked me to talk tonight, I was like, No way, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I can't, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about this. I, I'm on my third career. I work three jobs. I have terrible insurance. I'm not a CEO. Um, I can't pretend to, to, to be something that I'm not, and. Um, and, you know, pretend like I have it all together, and I'm going to, like, impart this on you and tell you, you know, this is how you do it. And then uh, I met with my mentor yesterday, and I was really distraught about this talk, and I, and I, was, full, I had, was, like, full of fear and doubt. And I read to her my poem that I wrote a while ago, and I don't really know why I picked this one, but I did. And she said to me, and it was really wonderful, and she said, Deirdre, your faith is what has saved you. And these, wor- these words broke through a wall and lifted a burden I'd been carrying around all winter. And it brought me back to, in line to the truth that is in me and in you and all around us, that Lord love, the Lord loves us utterly and completely and most especially in our brokenness, our wrong turns, our regrets, and our failures. And in all the good times too, of course, and my mentor said to me, a lot of people have three jobs bad insurance or no insurance and are struggling and they need to know and to hear that they're not alone. So that, I said, okay. So I'm going to break down this poem a little bit and use it kind of as a guide as to where faith meets work. When I, when I look at the poem now, I, I look at it as a, a call to myself to enter more deeply uh, into a trusting relationship with the great divine. And the ways of working in the store, in the shoe store is the judgment or put Tom sometimes that some of the women carry. Well, I'm carrying their shoeboxes. And if I'm, it's true. And if I'm not on my game, this is true too. If I'm not on my game, I accept it readily. And then I wonder why my spirit's deflated. And then there's another truth is, is that often it's not even them, it's me. And I'm projecting this judgment that I have about myself, and I'm holding them responsible. So. The quiet is that tender space in my heart and soul that slows down just enough to remember where I truly come from, to where I will return, and who is truly holding and loving me. As a Montessori teacher, one of my favorite experiences is playing the silence game. You know, It's really a form of centering prayer, um, designed to help them learn the art of calming their bodies and their minds. So we sit in a circle, and we can do it now, but we're not in a circle, but just, if you humor me, we can do it together. So I tell them I have a special game to play, and it's called The Silence Game. We close our eyes, and we put our hand over our hearts, and we take three deep breaths. Our eyes and our eyes are closed, and our ears and our hearts are open, and our mouths are closed. We listen for that special gift. The gift that's inside us and all around us. The gift of silence. And then we open our eyes. And to do this in a, oh, it was fun doing that with you. And to do it in a, a room full of children in a circle is, is exquisite. And, and if I hadn't experienced it, I wouldn't think it could happen with 25 children you know, wild little kids, age three to six, sitting around in a circle and closing their eyes and going inward and it's really beautiful and um, when, I, when I've done it with them, I know I'm in the presence of holy souls and I've seen a little glimpse of heaven. So the quiet means, for the quiet, when, I, when I'm working at the shoe store, it's a day when I'm sitting in the store I work at one out, it's a really beautiful one out in Geneva, and there's a big picture window and, well there are two big picture windows, and I look out and I can see the trees and, and they're silhouetted against the sky, and um, I look at the, around the lovely store and the, and the beautiful shoes and all the, the things are nice and I, I feel a great sense of peace and belonging. It is in this state that uh, if a customer comes in and I'm re- I am ready to receive them, but that's if I've left the bitterness truly and the pity on the Eisenhower <laughs> on my way out. Because otherwise I, I can't and I can't, I can't see them. Like he talked about seeing God you know, in people. And um, I, I get in my way sometimes I get in his way. Um, so I may be showing them shoes and purses, but it's far beyond that. And, and something in them knows that I am listening and they begin to share their stories. As they try on shoes or open up a handbag, time and time again, I've experienced grace come over me and over them. Spirit is working through me and something beautiful happens. It was at the shoe shop that I began to understand that I was a sort of wounded Catholic magnet. Story <laughs> true. <story. laughs> sometimes, I mean, I could see that I would sometimes elicit conversation, but it would be so weird and, and, and often I'd be working by myself, but in the beginning, I would put this lady dying. It was amazing. We were like, what's going? Because people would come in, and then you just—I think we, you know, it's so seldom that someone is actually there and can have the time to like (coughs) sit right in front of you and 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 and, you know be available. And and so, and Di and I would listen, and um, yeah, so I became a wounded Catholic magnet. And um, and I'd hear, you know, I used to be Catholic, or when I was little I had faith, or I wish I could go to mass, but I can't forgive the church. And as their stories deepened. And as they deepened, their tears were shed, and their burdens were lifted, and then my burdens were lifted. And I believe this is like the essence that I talk about in the poem of Mary's quiet, gentle whisper, um, letting us know that despite any you know heartache or tragedy, she's always there. But okay, let me tell you, I gotta be honest. Often I can't hurt her. I don't wanna hear her. I don't want to hear her. I want to blame the weather. I want to dig up past mistakes. I want to. This is all the reasons that I want to use. What you know, how I, how I can't see people, uh, God and other people. I want to blame my sister who lives next door, or the fact that I'm not married, or I don't have any kids, or the park. You know, the park is going to send me over the edge. <laughs> I'm going to go off the village wall. Um, so maybe for some of you, you know, sometimes you might want to blame your spouse or your kids or even the church. And the truth is, there's nobody to blame and there's nothing to. It's just life and work and relationships and good times and tragedies and, and, and underneath it all is the great presence of a very real and very true God that seeks our connection. And the Mass draws me closer and the Eucharist draws me closer and I'm grateful for this Catholic tradition. And as a pastoral counselor, I'm a mental health professional and I've been trained in both theology and psychology and I hold a master's degree from Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies and I'm, I'm a licensed counselor in the state of Illinois. And I did my internship. They're very young and they're very old. And um, you know, by by secular standards, they're they're like on the fringe, you know, both of those age groups. And they aren't exactly the movers and shakers of the world. And they aren't as mobile as the rest of us. And their voices often get muscled and, you know, um, muffled up by the noisier, busier go-getters, who get things done and have, don't have time for listening or being. I became a witness for them. And as I listened to their stories, I began to understand that you no know, matter what kind of job they had or didn't have, or how much money they made or didn't make, or how many children they did, had or didn't have, they were just like the Montessori kids and just like us. And they want someone to listen to them, they want a witness. To truly listen with an open, loving heart, and it is through this listening that their soul is affirmed of its existence, and they are reminded of where they truly come from and where they will return and who is holding them. And I believe this is the work of the Spirit. And I'm always asking God to grow, I'm always asking to grow in trust, to grow in my trust of God and to live more regularly in that quiet space and that place of knowing. Even in that tender space, the noise of the world still grabs at me and I still fall. And writing this, and and Jennifer, you talked about this, and this whole experience of writing about where work meets faith has been a really tremendous experience, even though I didn't want to do it. (laughs) I recommend it to everybody. This opened up a lot for me, and it's given me a a great sense of peace. But um, when I was writing this poem, I felt like it was a plea to God um, uh, for help and a challenge to myself to understand that, indeed, faith is a gift. You know, we always hear faith is a gift. But it means nothing if I don't open it. And sometimes for me and maybe for you, I must fight myself, although I'd like to believe I'm fighting others, to accept it and to open it and to receive it. And somewhere in that fight comes the surrender, the acceptance, the letting go. And I'm free then to receive. And because the gift is so precious and so peaceful, and there is nothing else quite like it. I know it's not of my own making. And I challenge myself to not only believe in the gift, but to live it. And it's much easier said than done. And just when I think I've got it all down, a little dose and sometimes quite a big dose of humility hits me in the face. And I'm mortified by my vanity, ego, and self-righteousness. And I think if you were to ask me 10 or 20 years ago if I'd be attending Mass regularly or reading about the saints. i be like, you've got the wrong gal. Sorry, I'm done with the Catholic, I'm just about done with the Catholic Church, thank you. And this is how I know that faith is truly a gift and not something I've earned. I've never thought I'd be standing here talking about my work in the Montessori, you know, working in the shop, or that I would ever go to school and become a pastoral counselor, for goodness sakes. Uh, what happened is I see now that I had let this childhood faith, which is a beautiful thing, But I let the childhood faith keep my adult faith from growing for many years. So the seed was planted, but I became too bitter to water it. So for years I talked about a church that had no place for me. A single woman without children who was neither a nun and could never become a priest. I never got off the spiritual path, although I tried often. I kept hoping I could shed this spiritual thing and and just make some money and be done with all this soul-searching. But living with one foot in the spiritual path and one foot in the physical can can be an arduous undertaking. Arduous because I forget that all I need to do is get out of the way of my own self and let, as Ignatius says, love loving take the lead. And so this brings me back to the church to St. Ignatius, to Padre Pio, to St. Catherine Labore, and all the souls who have become my friends. And it's been through hearing their stories that I see that there's indeed a place for me, that the Lord never has closed the church's door to me, and maybe in a different era or a different church with a different pastor and different different community altogether, maybe they wouldn't be so happy to have me, but um, this is certainly not the case here and otherwise I wouldn't be standing here before you. And and Sister Mary and Father Carl and many others have been more than welcoming to me, and I can no longer use the excuse that there's no place for me within (coughs) these beautiful walls. So the church is my earthly home, with its faults, with all my faults and all the humanness. When I was in graduate school, I remember, I was bemoaning grievances, my grievances about the Catholic church, trying to distance myself from its imperfection Okay, in my imperfection, but I didn't know that. That's what I was doing. And my supervisor, an Episcopal priest said to me, Deirdre, you are a part of that imperfect church. It is deep within you. It is part of your whole makeup. The beauty, the tradition, the trouble, the injustice, the whole ball of wax. And it's through the process of forgiving your Catholic church and accepting both the immense light and the grave darkness that your own healing and forgiveness will unfold. And at the time I was furious, and I think I may have walked out of his door. I I do, I'm not sure, but I was really, I don't wanna hear that, did not wanna hear it. And when truth stares you in the face and offers you a way out of pity and blame, it's really hard to take that ticket to freedom. But his words stayed in my heart and in my head and slowly through the grace of God, I began to let go of my defenses and let the Lord draw me back to my earthly home. And the process continues. I can no longer deny that a spiritual thread has been woven in me and throughout my life. I've come to understand that faith is my work. It is the work for all of us, no matter where we work or if we work. I've also come to understand that there's another thread that is woven throughout my life, and it is that of doubt but I'm not alone and the more I read about the saints, the more I read from scripture and from wise people throughout the ages, the more I understand that this threat is part of the human condition. We are all both sinners and saints on a pendulum moving closer and farther away from God and back. We have an innate desire to seek and know the Lord, to experience his abundant love and acceptance for us, and at the same time we can get caught in the muck of self-doubt and unworthiness. I think that this is why it's said that we are to be witnesses to one another of God's love for us. When I can't see the light in my own life, when it's dark and murky, I reach out to another and their candle lights my space. When the light is clear to me, when I know from where I come and to where I will return, I burn my candle brightly and others rest in its light. And when I get out of the way and enter into that calming river of the Lord, that only comes with trust and surrender. He becomes my candle and it is no longer work but grace.